I want to talk to you just around um, something really, really, really simple, and um, I'm excited to share it because I feel like I want to, I hope that today could help you to reclaim the center, to reclaim the why behind what you're doing here. Not that I feel like you need to reclaim it, but you do need to protect it. Does that make sense? Yes. I feel this is a church, the leadership, I know some of the leaders, it's a, it's a leadership that, that knows it, but I want to ask the church to protect it, <laughs> the center, the why behind what you do here. So I, I was here, what was it, two days ago, and there was a ladies group meeting, and that evening, um, businesswoman met, and I just saw some of these things happening, and I can just see the love that exudes from this church. It, it exudes the passion and the love of God for His church. And um, we've been the recipient of that. Your support, your generosity, your love. And, um, and so this church has a way of exuding the heart of God. It's like whether it's the women that look after each other or the love on a hanger or the way that you support other churches and other people or um, whether it's your leaders and the way they celebrate other people's successes. And so I can go on and on and on, but it's like just in a few days, I've just seen how this is a place um, of care, of love, of honor. And, um, and so I want to commend you. I want to commend you for your love and your care. But at the same time, it's like I, I want to ask you to protect the sanctity of the call of this church. And sanctity is the holy middle of the church. That's what the word sanctity means. It's something that's sacred, that's deep down inside of it, that is, that is sacred, that no one should touch, that no one should, that you should protect, that you should guard. And I think the thing that you should guard is this, this love and the care that you have as a community. It's not normal, it's beautiful, and it's blessed people. And so I want to ask you, it's sacred. Don't let anyone touch it. And um, sometimes as the leaders of a church, you often you find that there's an element that God's deposited inside of a church that even if you want to change it, you don't feel the liberty to change something because it's sacred. You can't touch it. And sometimes it doesn't always look the way you want it to look, and you want to like, change an aspect of the church. Sometimes as a church leader, you don't get to choose who comes to your church. <laughs> you just have to receive who comes. And you think, sometimes you think, I just want to change them because the picture I've got in my head of what a church should be, like, come guys, let's go here. And God says, no, it's too sacred. Leave these people. So you have, to, you have to work around it. And I know this couple, it's like there's a sacred element to the way that they hold this church. And so, but I do want to say this, that what, if, whatever God's deposited, you need, to, you need to protect. But we do have a responsibility as people. Chad's going to have a child in three weeks' time. And as that baby is born, they're going to have a checkup in about a month's time with a doctor. And one of the things the doctor wants to know is, is this child eating and is this child growing? <laughs> And then in the one-year um, pediatrician visit, they're going to want to know. They're going to weigh the child all along, and there's going to be a graph, and they're going to ask, is this child growing? Is this child developing? And I want to say to you as a church, 20 years in, God's desire for you is to grow, is for you to mature, is for you to develop as a church. But don't develop as a church comparing yourself, like standing here and looking at other churches and this is what often happens because a lot of you come from other churches, so you want to bring along some of the things that you loved about the church and the things that you celebrated and the things that were sacred about that church. But actually, there's things that are sacred about this church, and the best thing you can do to be in the full river of God for your life and your calling, I've been pastoring people for over 20 years, and one of the main things, I sit down with people, is I say, Jeff, I don't know what God's called me to. 
I just want God to make it clear. I, want, I have to make decisions right now, and I don't know what he's saying, and like, help me. And it's like, where are you? Who are you? And what is God doing around you? Number one, jump into what God's busy doing. And then along the way, as you jump into that river, you'll find yourself drifting into the things that God's called you to specifically. But the number one thing you can do right here is to ask, what is God doing here? What, is this, what are the sacred things that God's doing here? Throw your life into that and you'll see him do it. And he will grow you, mature you, and take you on a journey. And, um, and you haven't arrived. Lift, you haven't arrived yet. <laughs> I want to commend you for going on the journey. I want to commend you for how far you've come. I want to com- commend you for the excellence at which you've done it and for the faith that you've had to get you. But I want to say you haven't arrived. You're at a marker in the race, but you, if, you don't, if you stop moving on the race, there's the same way as the pediatrician is going to say something's wrong, we need to treat it. God wants to say to you as a church, like if you stop advancing, like Chad mentioned, the pediatrician has to stop and say, we need to sort something out here. And I want to ask you, before the pediatrician has to step in, can we ask God, God, would you safeguard the sanctity of what you're busy doing here? And so God has a unique calling on this church. Can I say that? In the same way he has a unique calling on you, and for, for me as a church leader to step into someone's life and to try and like alter them would be like touching something sacred. I want to say, God, you are unique. And there are some things that leaders can't touch. There are a lot of things they need to get access to, but only you can allow them that access. And often we guard ourselves and put walls up, and so we wonder why we're not discipled, and we wonder why no one's helping us. And it's like, yeah, because you've put walls around these things. You've made sacred things out of ordinary things, out of good things. You've taken good things about your personality and your life, and and you've made them sacred, and so no one has access to them. But there is a a sanctity to who you are. But there's also something sacred to this churches, and you can't mess with that. It's a DNA. You mess with DNA, you, that, thing no, that living being no longer exists. Like there's a problem. Um, and so there's, you're not finished. You're moving forward. But we do, there is something of like saving the sanctity and the sacredness of who you are. And you see, what schooling systems do, what religious systems do, what sports clubs do, is they say, this is, this is the perfect striker in the football so to become that you train in this way you're agile in that way you're a little bit tall for a striker so look for another position like, unless you crouch but um you that like conforms you and says this is the kind of person you are and now you need to train in this way and become this person schooling systems often a lot of traditional schooling systems say this is what a six-year-old does this is who you are now you have to conform and some personalities conform well some don't some people are more than like the learning, cerebral, intellectual person, and some people are more the creative type, and the creative types battle to fit in. And it's like, it's so unfortunate, because we're so unique. And then religious systems, unfortunately, do the same thing. This is the one paradigm of a Christian, and this is how you live your life, whatever. No, there are sacred moments of, of our sexuality, of our relationships, of the way that we use our resources, that we should align ourselves to Scripture, but the expression is going to be completely different for each one of you. But at the same time, we need to align ourselves to the ways of God. And so as a church, I want to say to you, there's something beautiful and sacred about it. Don't try and change it. Come and climb into it, and you'll see yourself in the river of God flowing. Yesterday, we were at a ravine. What is that place called, Piet? A ravine that's been cut over years and years and years and years of water flowing. And now it's just you you walk slowly because there's so many tourists. As you walk through this 
this chamber and these walkways as you, you look at the profound beauty and you experience what has been created by water flowing. And it's like, allow people of the city and this country and even Europe, because like I said, your, your reputation goes before you in Europe and around the world, come there and look at the beauty of what God, God does when you allow a river to flow when it needs to go, when everyone comes and we just we go in where God is going and we're just part of what he's doing. And so let's be reminded um, of why we do what we do. So I'm calling you to a deeper level of devotion as a church. And um, I've seen in churches how men and women are able to articulate the gospel in such beautiful ways that the church is built up. I've seen in churches how the gift of prophecy operates and God just aligns people around what he's saying. I've seen people able to dis- put on display the mysteries of the gospel. And it just draws the hearts of men and women that never knew him into this great adventure. I've seen how faith can move mountains. I've seen how people can be generous and their hearts can be altered so that, the, so that people less fortunate than them, whether it's less fortunate emotionally or financially or because they're single and have a desire to be part of a family, can be included. But I've seen how people can be taken care of. But then I read 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. And I think this takes us to the core, to the center of what all of those things are about. And so I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 1 to 8. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I have nothing. Church, you have nothing without a true love exuding from your hearts. I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And what will be left is love. I'm going to jump to verse 11. And this is the point. People say, 1 Corinthians 13. I said, uh, Jenny asked me, what are you preaching on? Because she's um, serving, because she loves the people of this community, and so she's helping out with the kids this morning. She said, what are you preaching? I said, 1 Corinthians 13. She's like, oh, love. So I said, no, maturity. <laughs> because we think 1 Corinthians 13 is about love. 1 Corinthians 13 is about maturity, not getting stuck and pro- progressing in what God's called us to, to become mature in him. And from verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I know, shall know fully, fully. And even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So this is a church of faith, of hope. But the core of this church and the reason you exist and the reason it was planted and the reason that the leaders will lead you and that you will go places and things will change and is because of the love that God has put in our heart. Now, unfortunately, love is being hijacked by whether it's 
um, Valentine's Day or movies or um, whether it's secular sexuality or like whatever it is, it's like the, the whole term has been hijacked. Like even in your, in your heart, in your mind, it's, it's a feeling, it's maybe a decision. It's like, but I want to say to you this, like if love is a feeling, then it's not a very, very powerful, it's, ve- it's actually it's a very weak tool in the hands of God. Like if love is just a feeling that we have, if it's a, it's a sense that we build up inside of our hearts towards someone, which is beautiful, it's, it's a good thing. But if it remains there, it's a weak tool in God's hands because when that feeling dwanes, God's got nothing to work with. And if love is the center, if love's all he's got, then it can't be a feeling because it's a weak tool. And I don't believe it is a weak tool. I think it's the strongest tool that we have as a church. And so what we say as Christians, we get clever and we say, love's not a feeling. We go to this side and we're like, love is a decision. <laughs> and that's so boring. <laughs> It's like, you know what I mean? Like you get married and someone are like, it's not a feeling, it's a decision that you make. That is so dry. That is so like sterile. It's like, like love your wife even when you don't feel it and stuff. It's like, that's boring. It's like, I'm choosing to love you. Like my wife says, like, no, I'm choosing to love you right now. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. I'm sorry. Like, like I don't feel like care when my wife says, I'm choosing to love you. I feel like that's so pragmatic and horrible. <laughs> But I believe it's true. But I think in the center is love has to become our destination. It has to become our focus. When love is a focus, then it pulls on the tension of feeling, and it pulls on the power of a decision, and it becomes something I'm going to walk towards. Sometimes I'm going to feel it, and sometimes it's going to be because I know it's the right thing to do. But in the middle, it becomes my obsession. It becomes what I walk towards. It becomes why we do this. It becomes the center of my decision-making. It becomes why I will spend time and sacrifice and, and, and take care of someone that I don't understand, love, or agree with. Because that love that I'm feeling, that I'm not feeling for this person, there's something greater than that. It becomes the destination of every relationship. It becomes the destination of everything I do. Um, and although it's been hijacked, I think we need to reclaim it. See, I, I had a conversation with someone recently, a lot of people in Portugal in 2008 and the recession and everything that happened really hit Portugal really badly and threw them into poverty. A lot of people lost their jobs and so a lot of people went and became carers in the UK and um, in England they could make a decent enough amount of money that they could come back after a few years and reestablish their lives. So I met two in our neighborhood and we got to know them quite well and they, they were carers for a while and I said, how was it? And they said, actually it was amazing. They said um, it was a horrible job, and they were changing the nappies of old people, and they were um, caring for people that didn't want to be cared for, but a lot of times it was really wealthy people who lived on an estate and were very deeply lonely. And the reason they needed a carer was because there was no family willing to care for them. But I said, so, like, I said, I understand the, like, dirty elements of your job. And they said, no, 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 the part that was amazing was that you learn that what people, what people want is not what they need. <laughs> and what they need... Was my, was my job. And so what they wanted was to be made comfortable. But the problem is, as people get really sick and really old, they would just want to be comfortable. So they put, you get put in a bed, and you get comfortable, and watch your best show on TV, 
but bed sores, this, both people mentioned this, bed sores start to develop. So in the comfort, in the most comfortable bed that money can buy, and with the medicine that you need and everything, these, like, these bed sores would develop. And so what they had to do was turn them, move them, get them out of bed. But she said, it's so funny because you wanted, your job was to remove people from their comfort, <laughs> was to take people away from the very thing they wanted because that's what they desperately needed. As, they, as this one lady was saying it to us, I just thought, that's like the Christian life. <laughs> That's the Christian life. That's why we need leaders in our lives, because leaders have to be people committed to what God's mission in your life, not committed to what your desires are. Because our desires are wayward. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. And so it's this thing of ongoingly asking, like, God, what, is, what does it look like for a community to love others? It's like, oh, well, it looks a little bit like sacrifice. It looks a little bit like stepping out of your comfort zone. Um, it looks like going towards people very different to you. Yeah. Um, but the reality is what this one lady said to me, or actually, sorry, the man said to me, he said, everybody is designed to be loved and to love. And, um, and he's not a Christian. Both of these people are not Christians. And I thought, that's profound. It's so simple. I've forgotten it. And I realized, like, that's why we exist. And so I, I ask myself the question often, does Jesus love everybody? I'm asking you, does Jesus love everybody? Really? Because <laughs> we get very clever when we become Christians, and we're like, it's a, we're like ah, it's, a, it's a complicated question, because Jesus died for everybody, but then there's the redeemed, and those who are called by his name, and predestined, and sort of salvation, and blah, 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 blah. I'm just like mumbling, because it's like, that's what I hear eventually, mumbling, blah, 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 blah. Like, Jesus desperately loves everybody. <laughs> Jesus like, I can go on and on. It's like, I can just say, it's like, John 3.16 assures us that for God so loved the world that he gave, he so loved the world. Um, I know your world might be a village in Switzerland, but he loved, his world is humanity. And so he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, should not perish but have eternal life. And I can, like, skip to Romans 5.8. Um, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, and there's no shortage of scriptures I can go through. I can just like go through, but that's not what I'm going to do today. But God loves the world. He loves all people. And if he loves all humanity, then he loved us before we were sanctified. It says God showed his love to us while we were still sinners. And then you, so we're saying, like, but God loves the saints. And it's like he loves, his love is poured out to everybody. Now, we don't really get this right as the church. When I say the church, I mean historically the church worldwide because our discrimination, our separation of these things. We don't know how to take justice and love together. God doesn't struggle with that. We do. But he doesn't struggle to put those two together. The righteousness and the holiness of God with the love and the mercy of God. He just meshes them together because he is both at the same time. We are pragmatic in the way we try and put those two together. So when we say God fully loves you in your sin, the space that you're in right now, we like, but he wants you to come out of your sin. We, 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 have, to, we have to like add a little bit on the edge of God's love. We always add this little bit of edge. But I really do feel that that edge diminishes the complete message of love. Because we don't want to misrepresent him. But I think we end up misrepresenting him worse when we add the part that still needs to be added to say like, Yes, God loves you. He is for you. His heart is poured out towards you. He's poured out towards the city, no matter who they are and what they're doing. He loves them. He desperately loves them. But he does want them to love him. And he does want them to change. And he doesn't love their sin. He loves the sinner, not the sin. Like we, we love all these phrases. 
because we feel like it balances God's love out. But I'm like, if the center of this church is love, then maybe we don't need to be as balanced as we think. Maybe God is good enough at convicting hearts. Maybe the Holy Spirit is better than us. And if we create a space for the Holy Spirit to dwell, and we love the people, I think he can cut like a knife through the hearts of people and remove that which is unhelpful, that which is destructive. Much better than, even if you were sitting here as a surgeon, I think you're pretty useless compared to the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So like dividing between bone and marrow. See, his compassion is his overarching nature. The problem we have as Christians is that we have this desire for perfection. You say, oh, I'm not a perfectionist. And it's like, no, you are. It's your perfection. It's what you think is right. It's what you think is the perfect balance. It's what you think is... And so we judge everyone based on our perfection, and especially the perfections that we've attained, <laughs> the so-called perfections that we've attained. But then God says, all your good works are like filthy rags to me. You don't impress me. All the good deeds you do, your righteous acts, it's all like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Christ. He's like, that's the, that's the aim. That's the paradigm. So if you don't meet that, then let's just skip the whole like, righteous pretending thing and just say we're all sinners, saved by the mercy and the grace of God. And then if we could start to view other people that way, we start to get a view of God's love. You see, Christians have this view or desire for perfection, but we, we want to look better, we want to pretend to be better, we want to make it but then we expect others to live up to these same expectations. And then, in that very moment that we expect other people to live up to expectations, we literally just pull the plug out of love, out of the love that God wants to have exude through us. Because people are not stupid. <laughs> when you walked into this place, whether it was five years ago, ten years ago, five, five days ago, I don't know, you got a sense. You listen to Pierre talking and you're like, oh, that's great. <laughs> But you got a sense. You, you, you felt something. There was, you, you, you got the heart of this place. And a lot of you are sitting here because you got the heart of this place. And what I'm asking you to do is to protect the heart. And the heart of this place is an exuberant love for people. Because of the love that we received from God is bounced back to Him. Our hearts have been opened and we allow people in. And so when we become individualistic and we build our empires and our lives and our safety nets, it just creates barriers around us where we don't know how to love others. We, 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 we have a desire to do it, but we don't find ourselves dying, doing it. And it's, we do it because of fear, whether it's financial security or whether it's emotional security because we've been hurt. It's basically based in fear, and we protect ourselves. The 1 John 4 says that there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. But if if sin has been dealt with, there is no punishment. And if there's no fear of my future and my life and my career and my right standing and the places that I live and the people that I have and my singleness and my marriage, and if there's no fear in that, then actually there's a safe place. And so there is no fear in love, but, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because we were, lo- because we were loved first. Sorry, because he first loved us. There's a man, his name is um, Boaz. He, um, he has spent 25 years exploring religions around the world. 
He's lived with shamans in caves. He's lived in temples in India. He's, gone, he's, um, he's done well for himself. He started online schooling long before it became a thing. And um, he did really well for himself. But he's now retired. And in the process of retiring, in his 50s, he, he started asking the question. He said he went from religion to religion to religion. And he said, there must be an answer. And he can't find the answer. And he said, somebody... I can't remember the story clearly, but some, either somebody in Norway or wherever he comes from, Denmark, said to him, I think you need to go to Lisbon. It's a very spiritual place. So he moved to Lisbon. Very soon after moving to Lisbon, he was sitting on his couch, and he felt like a voice, literally a voice said to him, how long will you keep running, Boaz? How long will you keep running? And he had a granddad 25 years before this that had told him about Jesus, and he thought, like, that mystical story compares nothing to the religions I've explored. And anyway, it's a long story, but he basically got to a place where he heard this voice say, how long will you run from me, O Boaz? Anyway, so he Googled some stuff. He found our website, and he started, through the website, he got to Instagram. Instagram took him to YouTube. YouTube, he listened to some videos, and one day he walked into our church, and he walked up to me. He said, Jeff, it is a pleasure to meet you. I said, sorry, have we met before? Like, do I know you? And he said, no, I know you so well. Uh, <laughs> he said, I've been listening to your preachers. I've been watching this thing. He says, I'm not a Christian, but I'm on this journey. And um, there's a, a long story, but essentially, this man has fallen in love with Jesus. He is the most big-hearted, glorious man you will meet. <laughs> I love this man with my whole heart. And um, he sent me a message yesterday. And he's going to be traveling a little bit over the next while and He's actually leaving Lisbon, but it's like God did this amazing story because God said, how long will you be running from me, O Boaz, to him? And then he came, and the day he came, we started a series in our church on the book of, of Jonah. And I got up, and I said, before I start this series, I want to say, how long will you keep running from God? <laughs> and he was sitting right here for me. And this distinguished man just started crying like a baby, just weeping. It's like... The reason he got to church was a voice said to him, how long will you keep running from me, Boaz? And I started the series, and I said, for the next few months, I'm going to ask you this question, how long will you keep running from God? And he heard the gospel for the first time, and he repented, and he's followed Jesus, and he's walking with him, and he has this glorious like, story of, the redemp of redemption. And he sent me this message yesterday, and he says, yeah, um, I'll just read a part of it. He says, dear Jeff and Jane, he says, I'm leaving Lisbon now, and I just wanted to say thank you. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for your friendship and being here. I need to travel for about half a year, and then I'll figure out if I come back to Portugal. Sorry, I can't see my phone. I don't know what's going on. I don't think I've ever met a group of people that were so loving. So including, so positive, so dedicated and courageous. Freedom City has been the place that I experienced love for the very first time in my life very first time in my life I experienced love. A man in his 50s experienced love for the first time. Because a group of people said, we're going to put our lives aside, we're going to climb on airplanes, we're gonna, people come from around the world to join a little church plant in Lisbon. The prospect that maybe one day it will become a church. And Boaz became a, has become a beacon for us as a church, as a man. See, I want to ask you to re-engage the story of love. 
In South Africa, I grew up loving football, and there was my icon was a man called Mark Fish. He was a defender. He was the captain of South African national team, and um, he was my icon. I, I played central defense. He played central defense. And I did, we were doing church for years, and one day I was holding my son. He was still young, and we were watching some baptisms happen in our church. And he, my son tapped me. He said, Dad, Dad, Dad. I said, yes? He says, Jesus really loves that man. And I said, which man? I look back, and right behind me is Mark Fish, my icon, <laughs> the sportsman. And I look, and all I saw, first what I just saw was a broken, broken man. If you know, if you, I don't want to get into his story, but just a broken man. And he was standing there watching baptisms, just weeping. My son says, Jesus really loves this man. So we carried on with the meeting, and I wrapped up the meeting. There were thousands of people standing there, but there was one man standing there that my son said Jesus really loves him. And I walked up to him afterwards with my son, and I said, Mark, you don't know who I am. I obviously know who you are. I said, during time of the baptism, my son tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Jesus really loves that man. <laughs> he just broke. And um, he had to get through decades of darkness that he had to get out of his life. But I watched a man over a one-year period come to know Jesus, come to know his redemption, come to know his love. And there were thousands of, of just um, moments that he had to submit to God. But it was because of the love of God that led him to repentance. See, Jesus, what I don't think you realize is that Jesus does not, Jesus did not go through his sacrifice to tolerate you. Jesus did not go through everything. He did not kill his son so that he could be all right with you. He sacrificed his son so that he could love you. See, the epitome of love is to enjoy. The things you give your money to, your time to, are the things you enjoy. God doesn't like you. God well, he doesn't just love you. He hasn't chosen to love you. He doesn't feel love towards you. You are his love. He likes you. Sometimes like we think love is the ultimate. He likes you. He enjoys you. He's like, you're like, yes, but. No, he enjoys you. He wants to be around you. Yo, but I need to repent of a few things. Yes. And he enjoys you. And in your moment of sin, in your lowest moment of your life, when you are sinning, when you are stepping away from his grace, when you are finding yourself in a disgusting place, when you are doing thing you know, something you know God disappoints you, I know this is controversial, but he looks at you, heartbroken and smile on his face. Heartbroken because he knows what sin's going to do to you. Smile on his face because he's like, you're my son, you're my daughter. And whether it's a sexual act, and whether it's an internet-based act, or whether it's a financial act, or whether it's whatever it is, in your sin, he is looking at you with heart of fire and the love that is soft. And he's looking at you, and he's like, waiting for you to finish your act of sin. And he's looking at you, and he says, are you done? Are you done? Come away with me. Come away. Come, come, come let's go. Because I love you. I love you. And you said, no, I just want to sort myself out and then I can experience God's love. No, 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 no. The darker your place, the more abounding his love is towards you. He said, no, you're finished. Come away with me. Because the grace of God, the love of God leads us to repentance. Some of you need to hear that today, but some of you need to know that for your city. 
The love of God leads us to repentance. The love of God through you in your workplace will lead people to repentance. Not the message of Jesus did this. That's a message. It's not the gospel. We sometimes think, like, share the gospel with someone. Okay, tell them the story about Jesus. You know, that, like, story. Like, he did this, and you were sinners, and then Jesus did this. It's like the story. Like, no, share the gospel. The gospel is the love of God towards people. Share it with them. Not tell them about it. We sometimes think share the gospel is tell them about the love. No, become it. Share the love of God with people. And it's like, but then where's the transition point? No, no, that's God's point. I have people pour in and pour in. And I want to end with this. It's like, Jesus doesn't tolerate you. He enjoys you. He loves you. Romans 2 says, or do you not show contempt for the, for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Ephesians 3.17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, rooted, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God, the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lift, can you be filled with all the fullness of the measure of God? I visited my dad. I grew up in fascinating circumstances. My dad loves me. And my dad, if he gave me a hug, I felt loved. My dad had a conversation with me. I felt loved. But there came, sorry. There came a point. Let's do that. I'm getting a little bit too excited. Hey? Just, just <laughs> um, there came a point where my dad wasn't available to me, and it's a long story, but I had to go visit my dad in prison for a number of years. But I remember one Christmas day, as a 14 or 15-year-old boy, all I needed was the love of my father. <laughs> and um, I was desperate, and I said to my mom, can I go with you today to go visit him? And I remember walking into this room, very sterile, and there was my dad, the same person, the same heart, he looked the same, he cared the same about me, but there was a 20-centimeter piece of glass between us as we had a conversation, and he shared his heart for me. And I walked out of there, and I felt very distant from him. And I think the next few years of my life became a little bit chaotic because I desperately needed the love of my father. And I couldn't receive it. And all the, the only difference was there was this 20-centimeter piece of glass between us. And I just I thought of that yesterday or last night. I thought, I don't know why I remembered that. But it's the same father, same love, whatever. And I think some of us have created barriers between us and God. We were hurt previously, whether it be by people, by people of authority, by churches, by disappointment of our hearts. The heart grows, like that disappointment, our heart gets hard because we thought life would go a certain way, something would happen, and it doesn't. And um, I realized the only thing we need to do to receive the love of God and to share the love of God is to remove... We can't make it happen. Love is received. And um, the degree to which... You can experience and give the love of God is based on your ability to recognize and deal with your misdirected love, your misdirected devotion. And we need to unhinge where we've made something good into something ultimate. And whether that's like we do it with our spouse and our children, we make them the ultimate, but God wants to be the ultimate in your life. And we have to unhinge that ultimate love to receive love. We make idols out of good things. We never make idols out of bad things. Like 
You're not, you wouldn't do that. We make lifestyle. Our lifestyle becomes an ultimate thing. And no one can touch it. No one changes it. No rhythms of my week change because this is my lifestyle. This is what I do. This is, but the problem is we get identity out of it. We end up saying, this is who I am. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. Your identity is not the things you do. Your identity is a son of God. It's a daughter of God. But we put identity to the things we do and we say, this is who I am. It's like, no, it's just your lifestyle. Relax. Be moldable. And then we do it to church even. We find identity in the church that we're in and the things we believe in, our theology, and then you battle to like integrate into church because you hold certain doctrines. It's like, relax. <laughs> Safety and security, peace. I can go on and on and on. We need to unhinge the sacred love that we put on those things to experience God's love again. And some of us have built walls and we're looking at God through a 20-centimeter piece of glass because we don't know how to receive His love anymore because we're, we've directed our love into, not, into, into good things instead of sacred things. And I think God wants to reach into this church. He wants to pour out His love through this church to a degree that I, don't, I do not believe. Peter will be like, no, 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 you don't understand. God's love, I, I, I know He wants to do it in, to a degree that you have never experienced it as a church. People will say it's not right the way that you care for the people of the city. It's, it's, it's overstepping a boundary, the way that you love people. It's overstepping that don't you know who they are and what they're doing? And it's like, yes. And the only thing that will change them is the love of God for them. We will go towards them. We will include them. We will love them. We will keep them around. We will make opportunities for them. We will be generous towards them because we, it's what we're receiving ongoingly from God. And so, I'll leave, I'll leave you with this. I don't have much to share today other than that. That I believe that God wants to not reclaim the center, but I, want, I believe that he wants, to, he wants to blow wind into the center of this church, which is overwhelming love. It becomes the destination of this church. Beyond church planting, beyond support, beyond this, beyond that, it becomes that we actually we, we disengage. All of you have hinged something of your life on good things instead of something sacred. And the degree to which you do that, you will not experience the love of God. And you will be hurt by people, you'll be disappointed by leaders, you will battle through things. But I believe God wants to reclaim the center of your life. He just wants to take your hand off. And he's watching you while you do that. He's very gracious. He's watching you and he's saying, are you finished with that now? Some of you, it's been 20 years. I really think that some of you, it's been 20 years, you just hold on to this thing. Are you finished? You're like, nah, 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 God, but that's... He's like, are you finished? Do you want to come with me? I can take you into an inheritance, but you're not going to get an inheritance there. And some of you know what that thing is that you hold on to so dearly, that sin that so easily encroaches. And God says, no, 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 come away with me. Not deal with it. Come away with me. I want to show you a love that is going to put this church on another dimension that this city is not going to know what to do with it. It might get into a little bit of trouble for it, but God's grace will flow through you, in you. And the love of God will transform hearts. Your spouses will not know what to do. <laughs> As you just like your heart gets turned inside out, and gets filled with courage, with love, expectation, and the vision of God for his people, your family, this city, and your future. In Jesus' name, amen.